Whispering. Whispering. Hello. It was a Monday morning, and Marion Cooper sat at her desk reading a new novel while waiting for her boss to come in. The story was a bestseller, all about a heroine who had many admirers, and each of them was jealous of the other. Marion stopped reading and sighed thoughtfully while she was still lost in thought. Good morning, Marion. Oh, good morning, Mr. Brandish. I didn't see you come in. I was in early, so I finished those letters you dictated late Friday afternoon. Oh, thank you, Marion. You're very dependable. Uh, did you have a good time over the weekend? Oh, wonderful. I went to the theater on Friday night. A new boyfriend? What? Oh, uh, no, a, a very close friend. And on Saturday, I slept late and went out to luncheon with, uh, with another friend. Another male? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Um, my friend was passing through town. I see. We had lunch at such a nice restaurant. Then on Saturday night, I went to a dance, a little private dance with another friend of mine. By private, I mean the dance was at somebody's home. And on Sunday morning, I went to breakfast in church with the one who took me to the dance. And on Sunday afternoon late... Another friend? Oh, yes. Another friend drove me out to the country, and we had dinner at a quaint little inn. It was... Very sweet. Oh, the traffic was awful coming back, all snarled up. Marion, you look so sweet and fragile, but you must have the endurance of an elephant. Working hard all day with me, every evening a heavy date. You must have a lot of strings to your bow, girl. Well, I'm lucky. Well, I wouldn't know about that. You'll be old before your time if you keep on this way. Four different men over the weekend? Well, that's going some. When are you going to start to concentrate? Oh, you mean... One man, absorbing all of your time, uh, buying a ring to put on your important finger, and a short while later, another ring. Don't tease me. You look as if you want to cry, poor kid. What'd I say wrong? Nothing. But... But... Well, I'll stop delving into your private life. I have one last word, though. I'm a confirmed bachelor, as you know. It's a stupid state, bachelorhood. It's a lonely state. So don't take a leaf out of my book and turn into a bachelor girl. You'll find yourself a nice husband. You sound as if you want to be rid of me. Now, wait a minute. I'm not that dumb. Why would I want to be rid of the best secretary I ever had? Am I? Really? Really. If you weren't so darn popular, honey... (laughs) Excuse me, the honey slipped out. Oh, you were saying... If I weren't so darn popular, if I weren't so darn popular, what, Mr. Brandish? We'll let it lay where it fell. Well, Miss Marion Cooper, how about bringing a notebook to this side of the room, hmm? Yes, sir. And lots of pencils, well sharpened. Yes, Mr. Brandish. There's something about the way you say my name that makes me feel like I was a hundred years old. Why don't you call me Kirk? I... I think it's best to keep things on an impersonal basis under the circumstances. Under the circumstances? There aren't any. Now you look as if you want to cry all over again. 
Oh, well, call me whatever you want to call me, and we'll let it go at that. In just a moment, Hope Winslow will be back again. But first... Primarily, ensign means a flag. The word is easily traced to its beginnings. The Latin signum, sign. The Anglo-Saxon S-E-G-N-E, segni, means flag. And the Norman ansania also means flag. In the 16th century, the British Navy borrowed the term from the British Army, where the word ensign meant not only a flag, but a rank. Ensign bearer, the officer whose duty it was to carry and defend the flag. As a rank, ensign bearer was in use both in the French Army and Navy. Usage shortened the term to ensign. In 1862, the American Navy adopted the rank to denote a promoted midshipman. In this complex world, where word meanings are constantly changing, it's easy to be misunderstood. That's why it's a good idea to know your words. And now back to our story with Hope Winslow. As Marion sharpened twelve pencils meticulously, she was close to tears. For she was reminding herself that she was a wrong side of the tracks girl who had graduated from a machine in a factory to a job as the general manager's secretary. Whereas Kirk Brandish had been born with a silver spoon, if not a gold one, in his mouth. She finished sharpening the pencils and took her notebook and slid into the chair beside his desk. And the dictation started. An hour went by, and two hours, and then... Well, that's enough for one morning. It's well after eleven. I have a couple of personal letters to write. I'll get them off my mind. Then I have a two-hour conference with luncheon at the end of it. This is your chance to take a long luncheon, Mary. Oh, uh, that's nice. Uh, a friend asked me to luncheon today, but I was afraid I couldn't make it. Well, call your friend and tell him you have a long recess. These multitudinous friends of yours, Marion, are beginning to get me down. Jealous, thought Marion, with a desperate gleam of hope. Like in the book, he's getting jealous. If only I can make him jealous enough. After Kirk Brandish left, she made a quick phone call. And at a quarter past twelve, Marion was seated at a table in a tea shop opposite her best friend, Hilda Jameson. Well, how's everything? Oh, all right. And the glamorous boss? I'm just mad about him, Hilda. I'm I'm literally out of my mind. Oh, he has a terrible effect on me, Hilda. Why, well, he's able to take the heart out of me and squeeze it to a pulp. Ooh, that sounds messy. When he smiles at me, my spine gets all knotted up. You know, you're very anatomical today, my pet. Am I? Oh, if I could get my fingers in his hair and sort of rumple it up very thick and it's flecked with gray. Sometimes he runs his own fingers through his hair. It's when he's thinking of something that's vitally important. Mm. I rumpled up a guy's hair once and it came off in my hands. He wore a toupee. 
I hadn't guessed... Oh, you'd take the romance out of anything, Hilda. Honestly, you would. You're so down to earth. Well, I'll admit it was a very good toupee. It had me fooled completely. You say you're mad about your boss, Marion, but the point is... Yes? Well, is he beginning to be mad about you? Well, he said this morning that I was looking um, pretty. Uh, he asked me if I had a good weekend. Yeah. Well, you know in that book you loaned me, the heroine won a man by making him jealous. Ah, oh, so you tried that approach. That I did. Mm. I said I went to the theater on Friday night with a friend. Gertrude Smith? Yes. Her boss gave her a pair of tickets. And then I said I went to luncheon on Saturday with an old pal of mine. Meaning me? Meaning you. And then I told Mr. Brandish that on Saturday night I went to a little private dance with another friend of mine. Th that would be Ruth Cameron. Was it a good party? Oh, not especially. There weren't enough men to go around, but we had a fair time. The refreshments were nice, though. Well, I said that on Sunday morning I had breakfast and went to church with the one who was with me at the dance. As a matter of fact, Ruth stayed all night at my place. Oh, worse and worse. And then? And then I told him that on Sunday afternoon I drove out to the country with another friend and that we had dinner at a quaint little inn. The other friend was Myra Bascom. But, of course, he assumed that you dated four separate men over the weekend. Oh, gee, what a liar you are, Marion. I didn't lie once. I just inferred. I never said I was with a man. I just kept saying a friend or another friend. As a matter of fact, I said that a friend wanted me to go to luncheon today. Uh, well, I should wear slacks and grow a mustache, and then if he sees us together, he'll... Stop joking, Hilda. This is nothing to joke about, believe me. I live in terror of the day when Mr. Brandish will tell me he's engaged to somebody else. I must make him interested in me first. You always refer to him as Mr. Brandish. Oh, he brought it up this morning. He asked me why I didn't call him by his first name. Well, I think that's making time. Well, the trouble is I just can't bring myself to call him by his first name and unless there's something between us. Not even in your own mind? In my own mind, I call him darling. My darling. Well, as I was saying, that story I'm reading brought out the fact that a man never wants a girl unless she's desirable to other men. That uh, unless she makes him jealous, he doesn't know she's alive. Well, maybe that's right, but I wouldn't know. Of course, Carl's never jealous. You and Carl have been engaged ever since you were kids in high school. He accepts you on faith. It's a comfortable engagement. But Kirk Brandish is my boss. He's above me in every possible way. He said I should concentrate on one man who would buy me first one ring and then another. Hey, maybe you ought to buy yourself an engagement ring at the five and dime. Do, do you think I'd get away with it? I don't know. I said maybe. Oh, if it's a small one? Well, nobody can tell that it isn't a real diamond. Oh, perhaps that would be going too far. Mr. Brandish is the soul of honor. He wouldn't make passes at an engaged girl or a married woman. I'm an engaged girl, and my boss flirts with me regularly. <laughs> hey, you're not eating anything, Marion. Oh, I guess my brain's so full that there's no room to put anything in my stomach. <sighs> Some brain goes deep. Well, I hope everything works out for you. All kidding aside, Marion. You have a long lunch hour today, so let's buy that engagement ring. Well, how will I explain it? Well, just say you got it this noon when you were out to lunch with your friend. Don't wear it on your finger, though, or the other secretaries will begin to ask questions. Tell Mr. Brandish it's a secret engagement. Wear it on a ribbon around your neck. 
Well, uh, how can he see it? Well, the next time you're taking dictation, lean forward a bit and let it slip out of your blouse. Oh, it'll be the first real lie I've told him, Hilda, saying I'm engaged. I sort of shrink from telling real lies. Well, don't say you're engaged. Just say you got the ring this noon and it's a secret. And you wish he wouldn't mention having seen it. If you have the right idea, the ring will be like a, a match to a fuse. How thin is the line between a lie and a deception? Marion wondered as she paid $2 for a ring and 10 cents for a yard of very narrow ribbon. The ring was pretty on her finger. She wished it were real and that it had from KB with love to MC engraved on the inside. She wore it under her blouse when she went back to the office. It felt cool against her skin. She was very nervous when Kirk Brandish returned at a quarter to three from his late luncheon. Oh, another day gone to pot. You get all the letters transcribed, Mary? Oh, every single one. Yeah, I'll go over them later. Right now, I have to put down some of the stuff we discussed at that conference before it slips my mind. Notebook and pencils, pet. P pet? That slipped out, too. Things have a way of slipping out around here. Why are you blushing? Is it because I called you pet when you won't even call me by my first name? You're a darling, Marion, and I just wish it... Speaking of things slipping out, what the deuce is that? Slipping out the front of your blouse. In just a moment, Hope Winslow will be back. Suppose for a moment that instead of being one of today's men and women in uniform, you were to go back a hundred years and become Billy Yank or Johnny Reb. How was military life during the Civil War? What about medical care, for example? Well, one thing is certain, it wasn't very good a hundred years ago. It's hard to believe, but during the Civil War, four Yankee soldiers died of sickness for everyone killed in battle. In fact, deaths from diarrhea and dysentery alone exceeded deaths on the battlefield. New regiments quite frequently had two-thirds of their men on the sick list. Why was the sickness rate so high? For many reasons. In the first place, both the Union and Confederate armies contained many men who were unfit for military service. Although the value of vaccination to prevent smallpox was well known, immunization was not a part of the induction process. And many men died whose deaths could have been easily avoided. Of course, the ways of fighting many diseases were not known during the Civil War. Germs hadn't been heard of. Sanitation measures were pitiful. Today, the men and women who are physically qualified for military service have the best in medical care from the time of their induction. Inoculations, sanitary measures, and good living conditions keep sickness at a minimum. And when sickness or accident does occur, there are expert physicians to treat it. Yes, there can be a lot of improvements in a hundred years. Today's soldier, sailor, and airman has a lot more in the way of medical care than he would have had in the days of Billy Yank or Johnny Reb. Back to our story with Hope Winslow. Marion's hand flew to the V of her blouse. Her face was scarlet, no doubt of that. 
and her eyes, wide and filled with guilt, found the eyes of her boss. She couldn't say a word, not one word, although a carefully prepared speech was stashed away in the back of her mind. It was Kirk Brandish who spoke. Well, when did this happen? Over the famous weekend? I... I got the ring this noon. Well, then why don't you wear it on your finger? Well, it's a secret. Oh, th- this morning you uh, told me that I'd better start to concentrate. Well, I didn't know you were going to follow my advice so darn soon. As heaven's my witness, Marion, you're too darn open to suggestions. Well, congratulations. Uh, thanks. I hope he's strong enough to stave off the mob. The mob? Of other men. Seems odd that you went out with four different men over the weekend and then got engaged. I should think on the weekend before getting engaged, you could have settled for one man. It's a question of good taste. Well, you, you don't understand. You said a mouthful there. I certainly do not understand. Marion, I'm going to tell you something here and now for your own good. Are you? You can take it or leave it. If you love this guy of yours, and I assume you do love him. Please. You won't even admit to loving one man. Now, that's the kind of girl you are. You've taken a ring from him, but you won't... Oh, the deuce. What's the use of saying anything? Do you want to start dictating? Yes. No. No. You've knocked the wind out of my sails with this ring of yours. But I... Be quiet. Let me finish. When you first became my secretary, Marion, when the personnel manager sent you up to my office and I saw you standing there looking so young and shy and appealing, I, I thought... This is the girl I've been waiting for all my life. The only trouble is she's so young and and I'm going on to middle age. I'm 23. And I'm 43. I had a long fight with myself, Marion. I wanted to tell you how I felt the first week, but I put it off and off. Then I began to ask discreet questions like... Well, like the questions I asked you this morning about your weekend. And believe me, I discovered plenty... What do you mean you discovered plenty? I discovered first and foremost that you crave attention, lots of attention. Well, I'm a busy man, Mary, and I, I don't have to tell you that. I wouldn't have the time or, or the energy after working hours to take a girl out every night. I, I wouldn't have the ambition to kick a bunch of guys out of my path. Yes, I discovered that you crave admiration, and I decided that you must be not only a consummate flirt, but a tease. M- M- Mr. Brand, Shut up! Only a flirt and a tease would have so many different men at her beck and call. (laughs) And now you're crying when you should be at your happiest. You look here, Marion. Change your technique or the man you're engaged to will end up taking back his ring. Oh, he probably loves you almost as much as I do. started forward. She was smiling wistfully through her tears. She stretched out a hand toward her boss, timidly, but at the same time, eagerly. You said you loved me just now. You're the only girl I've ever wanted to marry. But the thing I love, I guess I should say the thing I loved, is only a hollow shell. There's nothing sincere about you. I wish you'd kiss me. Newly engaged, and you wish I'd kiss you. Well, isn't that something? I'm not engaged. The ring? I'd 
bought it myself. And the five and dime. I don't know why they call it the five and dime. The ring cost two dollars. I didn't go out with four men over the weekend. I went out with four girls. Four girls? Why? why I didn't you... lie. I, I, I never said they were men. If you'd listened carefully, you'd have realized that I didn't. I, I, I said friends. Well, why the deuce did you put on such an act? I thought you'd like me better if, if you thought I were popular. It was my girlfriend, Hilda Jameson. I, I had lunch with her, who suggested buying the ring, so I'd seem desirable. How stupid can you be? Good heavens, how stupid can you be? Why, you know less than nothing about male psychology. You know less than nothing about about anything. You... You... You little fool. I hoped it would be like this when you kissed me. But the ring did work, Kirk. If it hadn't been for the ring... Oh, for the love of heaven, stop talking. You've talked enough already. More than enough. A lie is one thing, and an evasion's another. But if you evade issues too often, the evasions will grow until they become too hot to be handled without asbestos gloves and an asbestos heart. Hilda Jameson, Marion's best friend, had been comfortably engaged from the time she was in high school. But there came a time... Here is Hope Winslow to tell you more about Hilda Jameson. First, tell me this. Does a comfortable engagement always endure? Or is there a risk of being jilted? Until then, this is Hope Winslow saying goodbye from the whispering streets. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Barbara Eiler, and Vic Perrin. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Whispering Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.